0: Hello there. You just waking up? Welcome to Campaign Comrades, the Socialist Gamer Podcast. I'm your host, Ben, and with me as always are my trusty co-hosts. You know, go ahead and introduce yourself, guys. I'm Mike. I'm Matt. And your boy, Rick. We are here today doing a, a bit of a different uh, type of episode than is uh, you know, going to be our our main focus going forward. We're doing a little bit more kind of deep dive, little kind of retrospectives, uh, just little kind of investigations into various aspects of games, uh, no matter where they're played. And today we are talking about the role-playing game genre as a whole. We are talking about RPGs, folks. They are, uh, you know, games that a lot of us have played for a long time. And I think as we'll get into our discussion. We're going to find out that we actually, you know, played a lot more than we maybe thought we did. Because when I was like starting my research into this episode, as I was getting things ready, looking into the history of RPGs, I knew a lot of a lot of the origins from my experience in tabletop. But what what I found is like there really is no uh, real definitive classification or like you know a definition of what classifies an RPG. Like I tried, you know, searching uh, in Wikipedia, what is what is an RPG? Seeing like what what do they give as the general uh, explanation? But they the characteristics are always loosely applied, so it's it's really kind of open to interpretation over uh, what is an RPG. So I want to uh, start the episode by opening the floor to you guys. Uh, what defines an RPG to you? And we're talking tabletop or uh video games you know any any aspect so what do we got
1: yeah i i think uh i was as as i was thinking about this episode i was having a similar thought process of what does define an rpg and and what rpgs has have i played and it's it's really a pretty broad spectrum across a lot of the gaming i've done and for me personally i think an rpg kind of the line that that it sets for me is having the ability to customize the skills or attributes of the player you're taking on. That that kind of is where I draw the line personally of an RPG. Like I think some people will think of them as requiring a little bit more uh, control of the story or your character's participation in the world, but for me, it's more. At that kind of technical level of being able to determine where your character goes from a skill standpoint, I don't know how how everyone else feels, but uh, that's kind of how I define an RPG personally.
2: I, I'm a loot goblin, so I, I like I like to collect the loots. I like I like collecting things, so that's I, I definitely agree with the like, the skill tree uh, aspect, and that's part of the collecting for me. But I I really like. The, things that's 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 uh, an aspect
0: of like exploration it definitely seems like having having things with the world to uncover
3: i'd say for me at least uh, the broadest end of the spectrum of what i would consider to be an rpg is a game that you can self-insert yourself and you can role play as the character there's a lot of um a lot of games set themselves up with a silent protagonist so that you the player could sit there and self-input what you would say to people that is like this conversation back and forth or how you would be. Um, that's like the the idea, at least, behind the silent protagonist. And I think that is where I would draw the broader limits of what I would consider an RPG, something where you can put yourself in the shoes of the character that's playing, you know, and role-play, role-playing game. And I, I kind of come down...
0: Maybe a little bit close closer to you, Rick. But like I, I definitely agree with with Matt's uh, assessment as well that the it's it's more about immersion, not necessarily interactivity, as you were pointing out, um, Rick. That it's it's less about the the having the impact on the story and how how things are unfolding. Uh, I think that to have yeah, a, a more broad definition of it, it is more about the personal development of your character I think that has a practical basis in the the true origins of of RPGs as a whole which we'll get to they have since obviously grown from that and tabletop games in particular I would say there is there is a difference in what necessarily you would classify defining a a tabletop RPG and a CRPG that I think in that interactivity is more crucial to a tabletop rpg experience like it still obviously has the core mechanic of the of character leveling of progressive development but it's it is about how you're about feeling that uh, your choices have impact in the world but that gets to what you were saying that it's about immersion it's about feeling like you're part of the story that's unfolding
3: yeah that's there are definitely some RPGs that I've played where you don't have the same amount of agency over the story as say like um uh, like a Skyrim for example with the amount of choices you get you know it's a little more linear in that sense but like it's all about if you can drop yourself into that place you know and feel like you're part of the story right so i think that's kind of almost like a a
0: more kind of uh you know meta conception of what is an RPG that I really like. Whereas then there's the nitty the nittier kind of nitty oh, kind of yeah, You got to have a fist. skill tree. You got to be able to customize. You got to like, and then there, yeah, there's certain things like, uh, you know, I mean, you basically, you can't have most RPGs without some kind of combat, you know, whether how the combat plays out is obviously going to be different and mechanically uh, unique to a particular subtype, but you know, combat's usually a thing exploration to some extent, is, is a thing even though yeah there are more linear or narratively linear type type RPGs that I think yeah still fit in the thing but I think a lot of people would get stuck on I think yeah Rick you said this you know like that oh you've got to have like a dialogue tree you know you've got it in in your in your in your CRPG that's the only way to simulate uh, you know true role playing in in the CRPG
2: or in in, in that
0: in that arena and
2: I'm a little more open-minded one thing i'd like to add a good rpg lets you button mash through the dialogue if you just want to get to the combat i, I never do that
0: i i, I always I, I gotta to read the dialogue
2: scenes. i love cutscenes. no see and you know i was thinking about that after we were playing back for blood the other day and you're like mm-hmm. you wanted mm-hmm. to watch mm-hmm. the the campaign scenes i was like no i just want to get to the shooting like, so let me let me skip, skip through shit. it I was gonna say, I'm just definitely the type of person who at least has to see the scene once before I skip through it. I just think of uh button mashing through Pokemon, putting the text on like super speed.
1: Pokemon
2: Pokemon made me like uh, I, I
1: like to read the text, but I, I, I hate waiting for it to like appear. So if I can make yeah. the text appear quicker, I'll like skip through with but I'll read the text. I don't I don't completely want to skip the cutscene personally.
2: No, that that that's fair. I would maybe Pokemon is like uh, what made me a better reader. <laughs> just reading that shit really quick, just button mashing through as fast as I can. Yeah, just you know, critical retention
1: skills.
0: Don't yeah, kids don't don't ever let your parents say that you know video games are rotting
2: your brain.
1: Hooked on Pokemon phonics,
2: and then so you know, bringing that up, critical retention skills. I'll I I wasn't I was trying to think this through, but I'll say it now. I I think uh. A good part of uh, RPGs is the like hard like real life skills you could learn from mm-hmm. it, um, especially with like the building the skill trees, the exploration. There's organizational skills you could learn, especially thinking about Pokemon, like uh, the limitations within your Pokemon boxes and uh, trying to like organize them properly to you know fit the the teams that you want, or like you know even building your your characters on individual teams like you're strategizing. Um, so I think role-playing games like that is another part of the immersion is like the real life skills that you learn from playing and like can apply to you the game. You can get some real life feelings from some of these games too.
3: Yeah. You 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 can lose a party member and that could be, you know, that could be a whole game's worth of interaction with that character that are gone now. Like that can be hard.
0: It is a fascinating aspect of these games that they are you know, primarily kind of fantastical in origin, whether it's like you know, literal fantasy or sci-fi games. Uh, more in like the JRP genre, have uh, gone a little bit more, or go for a, a little bit more realism in some of their their setting lines, their storylines. But the that fantastical element does not, you know, preclude the you know ability to uh, gain real, real experience and real, uh, you know social skills you know take like a, a a pen and paper rpg thing you're playing with real people and yeah these characters are are made up the world is made up but like you know there's a real person behind it and you've got to navigate this world uh and you know understand how you fit into it with this this group of people it's you know it it, it helps teach you know collectivism
2: yeah and it's a good way to model skills in the low stakes environment mm-hmm. you know and like that's what a lot of people need to learn is that you know the low stakes environment that kind of like makes it fun so i think role-playing games could be really important for that low stakes environment don't play fire uh fire
3: emblem (laughs) that that permadeath system is no joke (laughs) yeah
0: we'll uh we'll we'll get to the the real like uh we'll get into like the cultural impact and the social impact of of these games later on but first i think we want to dive a little bit into uh a brief history of uh, role-playing games as an overall genre you know I think some of us could uh, use to either learn or some refreshers on the at this point the ancient history of, of role-playing games we uh, you know simply just you know weren't alive when when these games were being really pioneered so I think it'll be worthwhile to go through however I will say that you know this is by no means meant to be comprehensive in any in any way the games I'm listing are you know, you could argue are not, you know, maybe they are not as foundational as some people think, or, you know, there's debate about all these things, but the ones I pointed out just maybe have a a possible interesting development, whether technical or actual game design uh, or, you know, thematic differences. Um, But to, uh, to, to kick things off, we must, we must go back uh, thousands of years to uh, ancient China, where large groups of people uh, would be organized by the state to carry out these large scale military reenactments. Uh, these are some of like the first kind of uh, recorded history of these kind of role playing, because it's one thing we also forgot. There is a uh, live action role playing. Yeah,
1: the original LARPers.
0: Yeah. LARP you know, that, that count, those are RPGs as well. There are, uh, testaments of, you know, basically them conducting reenactments of large scale battles where everybody is dressed up in, you know, the appropriate garb from an earlier era. And, you know, they would be, you know, held around, you know, specific festivals and memorials to again, just, uh, engage in these, these different roles of a different era. Uh, so it's that's I, that is worth noting because uh, it's it's interesting to think of the idea of role playing obviously has been around for a long, long, long time. Well before, you know, the first commercially sold role playing game, um, but it is worth noting because those uh, those original games have their own history in uh, the idea of war games the of 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 war gaming which is a which is a a much earlier hobby so uh primarily it'd be like historical war gaming so using uh you know miniature figures to reenact real world battles from historical eras like the revolutionary war the 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 civil war the uh the napoleonic wars are a very popular one world war ii is now the most popular historical wargaming era but it's it's interesting to 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 see those kind of the roots that uh that rpgs have in in that particular genre i mean it's it kind of is impossible to divorce that in in its history because as i mentioned the first officially uh you know com- or commercially sold role-playing game is dungeons and dragons which goes on sale in 1974 this uh n- you know new phenomenon as it you know kind of started to it was started off as a niche kind of thing in the war gaming community uh that eventually grew but it was based off of uh rules developed by the eventual creators of dnd uh gary gygax and um i guess dave arneson i hope i didn't get that wrong um but they, they created a, a set of wargaming rules for like a medieval era. It was called Chainmail. And that is essentially the real first edition of Dungeons & Dragons is Chainmail. That was then further developed to the original uh, release of Dungeons & Dragons. which So again, you, you have to understand that at the time, uh, D&D was a tactical miniatures-based wargame. That's really what it still is at its core the mechanics are reflected even within the new fifth edition are still reflected in that. That is what the mechanics at its base are, the class system, the spells, the abilities, all that stuff is surrounds combat. And these were just dungeon delvers. The, you know, the iconic tomb of horrors is literally a meat grinder. That's just, you know, testing you to see how far you could make it. There were no like real narrative elements to it. It was purely exploration the idea of leveling, uh, character progression, that kind of stuff. Um, but that, you know, so that's where that is where the what we can consider the modern era of wargaming has its origins is for better or worse in Dungeons and Dragons, which itself has its its origins in wargaming. Uh, a side a side note, uh, I have a picture saved somewhere. I'll see if I can save it. Maybe we can put it in the show notes of uh, Peter Cushing, the uh Grand Moff Tarkin, sitting at his at his desk painting napoleonic soldiers Uh, the man was a gamer so rick you were gonna say something
1: yeah um i was just thinking about how it's interesting that this vast definition of what an rpg is really does start with what's more or less just strategy games Mm -hmm. uh, that then like kind of have evolved to have these more narrative and uh built out type of settings but i did i do find that interesting
0: these were extremely extremely nerdy dads in the 70s
1: <laughs> yeah exactly and like i totally uh, have you know from uh childhood trips down to good old williamsburg virginia where you can pretend it's still revolutionary times but just forget about slavery um yeah
0: convenient right
1: <laughs> yeah it's oh super convenient it feels very fun and and quaint um but they totally have Mini figs that I absolutely bought as like an eight-year-old because I thought those things were cool with their tricorn hats and uh, m- front-loading <laughs> rifles <laughs> those
3: are co- those are called muskets
1: thanks yeah I couldn't I lost the word
3: <laughs> I saved you from the, the hunting crowd
0: I went to Fort, Fort Ticonderoga as a kid and I still have somewhere or maybe it got lost I they they sold like musket balls and I thought it was so cool. It was probably just like a poisonous piece of lead.
1: Yeah, just, just a lead ball.
0: <laughs> just, gave, just gave me lead brain. Um,
3: Here you go, kid. Put this in your mouth.
0: Yeah, it's a sucker. Uh, but yeah, so so and comes out, the, the first uh, real edition, this is before it becomes Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, it comes out in 1974. And this coincides with the, uh, the emerging computer age, you know, the first... The, uh, the first computers, uh, the first mainframe video games, which were these big ass computers, you know, usually just uh, owned by universities, they, uh, you know, started uh, coming up at the exact same time. So it's like the first uh, the first tabletop uh, role playing games come out and then uh, these, you know, basically they're just uh, graduate students or whatever at universities just uh dicking around doing a unlicensed Dungeons and Dragons uh, video game on the on these big mainframe computers. So these were called I mean,
3: multi-user dungeons or MUDs. Let us be honest, who hasn't had their school computers, got games on it hidden somewhere. Oh yeah. I mean yeah we had Mario Kart. <laughs> it was it was amazing.
0: And Halo. Halo, Halo yeah, was I was in, gonna say we had Halo 2. Halo two was in the uh was in the science lab. The science computer lab.
2: And and in the uh, uh, library, the CAD lab. As the, li- well. the I'm pretty Matt, sure the
3: library sure. only had Mario Kart. I thought Halo Two is also in the library lab. It's possible.
2: I, I remember people playing Halo Two during CAD intro to CAD ninth grade. We
3: had Star Fox 64 on the computers in the engineering lab in college. That sounds amazing. Um, but so yeah, the the
0: first official or it's the, the first mud of of prominence was the aptly named dungeon uh released or created in uh somewhere in between 1975 and 76 and yeah you know, this was literally just a a cut and paste of you know the original D rules but just put into this mainframe computer they uh they boasted some really impressive stuff you know this despite it like you know speeds and everything being really small like they had like fully generated dungeons with enemies with, you know, very crude AI and, or maybe I think they had NPCs with AI. I don't think the, I don't necessarily think they had, uh, they had combat AI at that point. That's, that is a game somewhat, somewhat later on still in this, this kind of booming era. These, again, these are all unofficial. These are just uh, things that were again, made on these mainframe computers that were interconnected at some level. I, I don't know enough about the, history of that technology um to know exactly how interconnected they were but there there's several other games uh came out one called uh i found this one strange pettit five uh but it's more colloquially referred to as the dungeon came out also in 1975 was built for the plato system uh, which is like the the thing that gave us email and message forums. So basically... Uh, basically the, the downfall of humanity. Is Skynet. It's Skynet. Yeah. It's basically real world yeah. Skynet.
2: <laughs> ARPANET. That was the, the first internet. Uh, yeah. I think that's around at this time. That's in the 50s.
0: But yeah, that, that's purely uh, military-grade shit.
2: The military, yeah. Uh, I, I think by this point it has been... uh like four private right no it, the
0: universities were the first to like get public institutions. I remember I've talked yeah. to my dad a while back about it. it. was like, you know, he was in the universities at that time. That was basically he had access to like some of the first email, you know, like ever got
2: yeah. I, I had a professor that that it was the same thing and uh like they were like on punch cards or something yep. that you could like Yeah.
0: Fortran all right, so now we get to probably the first game that we all are actually familiar with, at least by the name. Uh, 1980 saw the release of Rogue, a dungeon crawler that uh, built upon a lot of the ideas of uh, that were pioneered in in the Dungeon. Uh, the you know the idea of completing runs, randomized enemy generation. That's where uh, or the Dungeon was really making moves, uh, but this uh, kind of made uh, made waves by introducing the concept of permadeath. So the idea that, that death is a lasting thing that can end your run rather than just, you know, having multiple lives to regenerate and restart. And it, uh, as we'll see, generated its, uh, its own subgenre of games, the roguelikes and the roguelites and, and all that. But the, the, it also started uh, dealing with or creating randomly generated dungeon maps so that like no two runs were the same. Like these are all things that again they're building on one the, another. The roguelikes, the roguelites. Exactly. And it's like, but that it was the first to do it. And that was back in 1980. It was originally uh, you know, designed as one of these MUDs on a uh, on a mainframe computer, but it was eventually ported over to PCs in nineteen eighty
1: four. How how has there not been a movie where a roguelike sentient video game? kills you in real life once you die in the game.
3: Isn't that basically like that Jumanji?
1: Is uh yeah. I mean like Jumanji's I guess somewhat the kid friendly version. That's fair. I'll give you that. All right. <laughs> kid if friendly those Rocky and Kevin Hart in it. Yeah. All
0: right. Uh but yeah, so we we've now see things start to shift to the first personal computers that uh in the here in the West start becoming uh you know commercially available and accessible. Uh, around this time just you know basically in the early 80s we have a uh, true
3: downfall of humanity uh
2: no i mean that's really when when facebook now meta comes around so we've got we've got some some games here that i'll quickly go through
0: we've got the the temple of Abshai, released in 79 or in or finished in 1980 i forget um was considered the first graphical rpg um, had some real-time combat functions, and this is where we start getting rudimentary enemy AI. So, like where you're uh, you you move away, they come after you. They you know they they start using their own resources and and stuff like that. Then we have uh, a, an interestingly titled uh, one thousand nine hundred and eighty game Odyssey, the complete spelled C O M P L E A T App Venture. It was built specifically for the Apple
2: II. Uh, I, I saw that in the notes and I was like, Is it a, you typo? Do a typo? And and then I saw those for Apple II and I was like, of course. And it's it started from their origins that they had to make fucking like weird punny, you know, names right. for their shit. And,
1: the, and not only that, yeah, that's because Kim Apple's a smart man. Too. <laughs> yeah,
2: Yes, so yeah, their exclusivity, exactly. But yeah, like the, the Apple II was
0: the main purveyor of RPGs. Like most of the games built mm-hmm. at this time. Were built specifically for the Apple II. They ran the best on the Apple II,
2: and I love that. Like Mac or Apple users now have like no gaming capabilities mm-hmm. except for like shitty mobile games that you can right. play on on a laptop. Yeah, no.
0: All I can do is you know play uh Magic uh Magic the Gathering Arena, and that's it.
2: You could you could put Dual Links on there, Yu Gi Oh Dual Links. You'll as never well. you'll never
0: get me. Uh, but yeah, so the the only notable thing i guess about odyssey that i have is uh it was the first use of the overworld map so the idea of getting uh you know a look at uh, the large the larger settings because before it's like basically again you're just in a dungeon so this had a concept of you know you go above world and you can go to somewhere else and you can find other dungeons and so a lot of these games again why i'm kind of mentioning them is just when you when you look at it there's just a kind of a clear progression from one to the other and it's just they're developing these concepts that to us, just seem uh, you know simple, and uh, you know that are that are these kind of fundamental, like rudimentary parts of what makes, in particular, a CRPG, what it is, are uh, these things that were developed over time, and for you know a while, again, they were just literally hack and slash in a pixelated dungeon, uh, and that's and that's basically it. Um, the last one, I guess, I have from this era is. Aclabeth, The World of Doom, also coming out in 1980, was kind of a big boom year. Uh, it was created by then-teenager Richard Garriott, who went on to design the foundational Ultima CRPG series. Um, this, uh, this game, Aclabeth, is largely considered uh, the first CRPG published for commercial sale. Uh, previous games, you know, like Rogue and all these other things were uh, freely distributed, or again, were just localized to university mainframe computers. Uh, but Acklebeth was like, Yeah, you know, this kid was like, 50, he was like 15 at the time, like made some deal with like a small publisher and they sold like 3,000 copies or something.
3: Does this sound like Grandma's Boy,
2: the, the uh, <laughs> the Prodigy guy, JP, right? Yeah, Jay p uh i designed a game
3: was didn't he say 15 it's, it's yeah, like I think so. yeah
1: it's like 15 or 14 or something <laughs> potentially the inspiration
3: yeah maybe uh Sorry, you were just saying it and i'm just sitting there like this sounds like where have i heard this before and then he told me to sit on his face and i was like there it is i remember now. <laughs> matt
0: did you ever play any of the ultimate games i did not so they were they were all again mostly way before our time, and the you know the the kind of the last one that was maybe in an era where we could have played was so bad that it killed the series. Uh, but it's you know it's not really important. Um, but the oh I I, I do I, I do have a, an interesting note though on the Ultima series itself. Um, it was it shift it it, it signaled a shift in. Uh, in design it responded to the moral panic of the 80s you know of of the era uh, by focusing on story uh, versus you know the more that more traditional hack and slash kind of thing where you're fighting literal demons and that kind of stuff it was uh, this was exemplified in uh, Ultima 4 where the explicit goal of the game, you know, is not to, to meet defeat some, you know, crazy lich villain, you know, a, you know, you're not dealing with witches and sorcery, but you know, it's rather the quest to become a better person. <laughs> uh and apparently ultimate like this is a joke by the way, I have to say, that apparently Ultima 6 solved racism. And finally.
2: Like they they were, you know, it's they
0: were it is interesting though that they were, you know, they were explicitly sto- this was like the, the again the shift into story being a main focus in
1: i mean i think the, the moral of the story here is that richard garriott gave into the uh pressure of cancel culture and uh moral panic and changed his creative vision uh to to comply with these libs
0: well i mean it seemed that most of the the uh, most the most consumers uh they vibed with it though they did All right, yeah apparently. i was
2: gonna say this is this is like the rise of, uh, or the the beginnings of, like the apolitical centrist that that doesn't want to hear about about racism and and doesn't want, uh, you know, is colorblind and well,
1: obviously the Ultima series solved that. So yeah, uh-huh. that's
2: what I'm saying. So it was perfect yeah, was, for them. They were catering that was to their audience. The main
1: plot. It's
0: like you're dealing with some, uh, like some some uh, group of peoples that are, you know, being. I don't. I, I looked up the plot. I don't remember. It has now
3: gone through, gone through my brain. It's been memory hold. I just want to know what it would be like if I took like, what's a good example? Maybe like Astral Chain, or like Shin Megami Tensei, or any of these like modern JRPGs back to the 80s, and be like, "Yeah, hey, look, you guys won," and show them just worlds covered in demons mm-hmm. and.
0: Uh, but, yeah, so this, that's, a, a, you know, a good transition to RPGs start to go global, you know, because at that point, basically, they're, they're, they're solely, uh, you know, relocated to uh, personal computers, to PCs uh, in the in the West, or I say the West, mainly, you know, America being, you know, the the be all end all consumer, you know, we had them first, and we were the, the main, the main, uh, you know, then consumers of these games. Uh, uh, you know, say due to the the economic limitations and certain technical barriers of the time, there there was very little public consumption of of the of RPGs in countries like Japan during this initial original rise in the West because they were effectively kind of ten years behind us in in their economic boon, uh, where ours was in the 80s, theirs was in the 90s but uh you know PCs are not available in Japan uh they are in that yep, 1983 year. uh Nintendo uh revitalizes the industry that had itself uh, essentially crashed uh in the 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 aptly game named console. video game crash of of 1983 in Japan known as the Atari shock Um, But they they uh, they released it was called the Famicom in in Japan, but then family computer. But then when it was when it was eventually moved to uh, to the West, it was, you know, rebranded as the the NES, the Nintendo Entertainment System.
2: Do You remember just, you know, I know that it's different than the the famicon but just having like a family computer running on oh like my windows God. 97 yeah. Where, yeah they had to the, be in the, the, the living gateway. room how Bin many White how gateway many gateway old
0: bells did i brick with uh downloading uh songs on LimeWire? <laughs> LimeWire <And> porn, <laughs> uh,
2: playing what was it but like i've I, ready the fish i remember it truly was a family computer like that you had to be be able to be monitored by your parents because they're afraid of what you're going to see. And now, like, four-year-olds are walking around with uh, an iPhone and an iPad <laughs> uh, just attached to each hand. And
3: they're better at it than uh,
2: their parents. Yeah. Probably could turn off the, the parental controls and not even have their parents know.
0: Um, if we want to do a little aside into the uh, events of the video game crash of 1983, it was... It was I am uh, interested yeah. E. T. Uh, You know, an an interesting time. It it lasted. It was you know a large scale recession lasting between nineteen eighty three to nineteen eighty five, mostly in the U. S. But it was uh, it was the release of E. T. That really like hammered it home. There, (laughs) I mean the the real reasons were that are uh, you know cited today uh, include market saturation, the number of consoles, the number of games. Like again, there was basically a spike. In in uh I was looking into the numbers, there's something like the the purchase of, of video games had gone up like a hundred percent in like a year, but the the production of the games themselves went up something like 175%. So that they were just flooding these stores with and for the most part really cheap, really shitty games that yes, that e. yeah, <laughs> that just uh soured people on the idea of video games. They like became a laughing stock. Uh, they were not profitable. Stores were trying to like sell or like send the, their, their overstock back to these producers. And it just, it, it, it caused uh, companies to fold like immediately. And then big
3: daddy Nintendo. Uh, yeah,
0: they, they step in and really kind of save the day with, with the NES. Um, but that's where, you know, we see companies like Atari, essentially not being able to recover a shell of their former glory. There's a whole lot to get into. We could spend probably a whole episode on on this that we won't, but it was the the popularity of the Nintendo, the viability of it uh, really, you know, saw this kind of resurgence in video games as a whole. This is, and you know, this is a time where essentially, again, video games just weren't a thing and and also consoles were just a non-starter. There's still then, this then also, creates a, a split in the development of RPGs in particular. Because we now have a popular, now affordable way for uh, non-Western consumers to play these games through things like a console that understandably are not as high-powered as those those early home computers. So there are uh, hardware limitations that force a more simplified version of RPG mechanics. Things like you only can now can control a single player versus you used to control a whole party again, because to this time, basically every single, again, Western RPG is basically a D and D clone. It's, it's, it's using, if not the exact rules, it is again, just a clone. You have less, you have uh, more action style combat instead of turn-based things. You have limited character movement. That was a specific thing because of like the controller, on the on the nes like you just did not have as wide range of movement so it was more simplified uh game design and the the first the first big name one was 1986 dragon quest a smash hit in japan this day yeah it is you know laid the groundwork for uh, you know the major differences between rpgs for console and PC that remain to this day. That's that's is why I I thought it was important to bring it up. Is you know you you have the NES that again has these technical limitations that then you see a divergence of how the game plays on on RPGs designed and sold for consoles versus PC. Like you just you can't get as in depth and do as much stuff on a console. So the the way the game is designed itself is different, and how then how it plays is very different. But I know Matt has has lots to say about the 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 booming jrpgs
3: don't forget one of the most appealing things about the dragon quest series is that it's uh done in part with akira toriyama you know maybe a small little known dragon ball artist and developer mm-hmm. and you know author and so there's there's a lot of that dragon ball charm there in that animation
2: that you just can't recreate with anyone else i i looked it up cuz i i was only familiar with some of the newer games and i my first reaction was like Oh shit! I've what is this re- like in the Dragon Ball Z canon? Nope, just Akira Toriyama. Yeah, no, it's it's incredible, and the artwork change from then to now is uh, huge. Dragon Quest is one of those games that has just been foundational. Like in Dragon
3: Quest Eleven, um, you can get it on PC even now. Really? Like, yes, it's a great game. Can't recommend enough. And the series is still active, right? Yep. They're making another one. Dragon Quest 12. Uh, Dragon Quest 11 is on every major console. It's on, you know, Switch, Xbox, PlayStation, PC.
1: Yeah. I've not played any of the Dragon Quest games
3: before. Uh, Dragon Quest 11 is a good place because outside of the first three, which are really a trilogy. um, Every other Dragon Quest is a self-contained story. Oh, okay. So you don't you don't need previous games worth of knowledge and Dragon Quest Eleven is a great place to jump Matt, in. So
0: how how would you define like the the this kind of characteristic split between Western and and JRPGs that really kind of starts
3: with Dragon Quest? It's an interesting point because at that point in time, a lot of the big differences were hardware limitations of the NES. You know, you just don't have the same amount of straight choices right that affect the game. You know, it's much more limited in your scope, much more limited in what you can do. But what they really go for with JRPGs is they really try to get that story tight knit to pull you through. Strong narrative. And Dragon Quest, yes, Dragon Quest follows a very strong narrative. And it's uh it's I mean again, it's one of the foundational series. They to this day in Japan, when a new Dragon Quest game comes out, most companies just give the employees the
2: day off. Amazing, because they, they would rather. <laughs> That's awesome. Rather, we just can't even take- get a, a you know voting uh, election day off in America. a, tr- tr- Japan, a truly enlightened everyone's society. getting. Yeah, yeah,
3: <laughs> day off for video games. But there's an interesting point is because Dragon Quest was 1986, and then one year later another foundational JRPG series on the NES was launched known as Final yes. Fantasy. And the reason it was originally called Final Fantasy was because it was Square Enix's last ditch effort to make a profitable game. They were, on their, they were on their ropes trying to get a game to stick on market because, you know, it's only been a year of Dragon Quest at this point. They haven't really gotten a whole lot of traction, especially outside of the Japanese market. So they released a little known title known as Final Fantasy oh boy and while each game is not final that is another one that iterates it's slightly different than dragon quest they go for um especially final fantasy 7 onwards embraces a lot more of the sci-fi aspect of um of a storytelling wh- whereas dragon quest t- tends to stick more pure fantasy and like earlier uh final fantasy stuck with a harder fantasy line and uh like Final oh, Fantasy IX right. kind of went back to that as an homage.
0: That is one thing I did see is that uh, you know JRPGs did uh, expand and kind of explore more of uh, setting possibilities than more Western RPGs. Where again, yes. at the time, the the Western RPG is explicitly fantasy, if not it again just the dungeon crawler. Whereas whereas JRPGs were more willing yeah. to explore. Uh, like I, I think I mentioned this earlier, more kind of you could consider both more grounded storylines, like more kind of set in our, what you could consider more, you know, real realism, you know, a more real world, um, as well as, uh, you know, still more speculative stuff like science fiction. And yeah. Final fantasy is the one that always pops up as yeah. the one that has, you know, most successfully
3: blended the two. Well, I mean, final fantasy seven, VII- the first one that really made that jump discusses a story around people uh, who are labeled as eco-terrorists, mind you, because, Mm -hmm. you know, saving the problem terrorism, trying to shut down an energy corporation from sucking the life force of the planet out of, to you know, run cities.
0: Oh, and another, another interesting thing I saw was that because Japanese culture is more, uh, more open to exploration of ideas of religion and in particular atheism, that it really uh you know (laughs) signaled a huge shift in uh in its thematic differences between western rpgs things that again would have provoked the you know the moral
3: panic type stuff Mm. a lot of early jrpgs and even to this day uh, a big trope is the big religious cult that might seem like they're okay in the beginning are definitely the ones behind everything and like they definitely have nefarious means. Yeah. So what, what I what I would classify as the defining
0: bit of JRPGs is while they may have at least originated with more technical limitations, they were more open to explore, uh, you know, thematic uh, components and narrative.
3: Yeah. You you tend to end up fighting gods at some
0: point or other. Yeah. Any so any other uh, insights into uh, JRPGs
3: which we could really credit with uh, saving video games as a whole i mean you can talk about the discussion around how early jrpgs went with a a, you know a very strictly turn-based combat again as a limitation of the system but as time has developed they've adapted with the times to you know switch to more of an active battle right situation for a lot of them even though some uh franchises have stuck to their roots of the yeah, turn-based combat. You know, you've got Persona, you've got the Pokemon series. Yeah, I thought
0: it was. I thought it was funny before we recorded. Mike was like, you know, I'm worried that I haven't played enough RPGs. And then Matt and I were just, we were just hanging out yesterday, and we're just like, you know, he's literally played the most popular JRPG of all time, and so, so yeah. many <laughs> hours,
2: yeah, so many hours, copious. One, one of that. the
3: highest selling game it's series, one ever. of the
2: highest selling media properties ever. Mm. The Disney of Japan. Uh one thing i wanted to add about jrpgs is they also brought us the oversized sword i mean that's more that's more of just an that's more of just always a a favorite of mine yeah an anime that's an anime trope in general
0: yeah
3: i mean you're telling me you haven't watched naruto and seen zabuza pull out the butcher blade and been like oh yeah that feels realistic Uh,
0: but as i was saying like uh, jrpgs you know saved video games in the 80s but it's one thing that's weird to see is, you, I mean, it's it coincides, you know, with the, you know, rise and fall, the booms and busts that are, you know, the defining natures of capitalism that, uh, you know, video games, they they rise in popularity and sales and then they fucking crash. Uh, so there was one in the 80s, another less intense, but still uh, a, a strong recession of of game sales happens in the early 1990s. As we as we move into this kind of next era of gaming, uh, developers struggle to adapt RPGs in general. As like this is really the or it's like this more so than the '80s. The this was the most precarious era for the RPG. This is the like it is RPGs are kind of colloquially referred to as you know the genre that almost died, and it is it was in this era that they came the closest to being snuffed out. And it was, you know, due to a, a whole set of factors, like I said developers struggling to adapt them to uh, new and advancing technology, creating increased development times. So games that were being pumped out on like a yearly basis are now taking three, five years, and there's just nothing new coming. Out. RPGs have stagnated, their sales are dipping nothing uh you know just people aren't playing them however not the case for jrpgs jrpgs once they basically took off never stopped they never looked back we saw in the in we see in the west then a rise of more action-oriented games like doom you know doom takes over It is it's it's the fps is the is the game to play now uh that's that's
3: what it's all about golden eye doom to rock
1: golden eye what
2: a great I think game. it's
1: kind of interesting how you say that like these RPGs were considered the the game that almost died especially because I don't know from you look at our our current gaming landscape
3: everything's almost an RPG at this point. Exactly exactly even everyone's your, even got a your, skill your, tree.
1: Exactly even your your FPSs at this point have a lot of RPG Elements. type of mechanics or components baked into them to the point where it's like it's almost all mainstream games besides those that are really truly like first person shooter story driven games almost all of them are very close to something you could call an rpg at this point
3: stay tuned for the episode where we discuss how Fortnite is an rpg folks (laughs) (laughs) but
1: it's it's
0: it's real and it 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 goes back to i mean i think we'll touch on this but it goes back to dnd uh you know creating the whole idea of levels and hit points it is foundational little kind of again mechanical elements that just basically no game has like basically can work without at this point it's almost every game involves some some level of a you know rpg game element in it to this day however they're not doing well in the 90s they're just they're struggling to to get sales there's no good games coming out um but then there are uh a few you could they're basically series but whether the start of them um it's you know the first ones obviously were what signaled the renaissance of of rpgs and what has what has really taken us now into this modern era um it's pronounced renaissance renaissance the uh the the three that that stick out uh From the from the nineties are uh, Diablo, an action RPG uh, with some of the first online co op. uh, In has become
3: the Dungeon Looter, the
0: most successful dungeon crawler of all time. Uh, Then we have Baldur's Gate and Baldur's Gate Two, which I think was more was was actually more uh, more successful. But those were those were like the there had been previous. Um, licensed D and D video games. Some of the oldest ones uh, were called like the Gold Box series. They were just adventures that were uh, put into. uh, I think they were for PC, and they were some were okay. They were okay. They were never groundbreaking. That's really why I never I didn't mention them before. Um, But Baldur's Gate was like is and is probably considered the most successful uh, official D and D CRPG. Closely followed by the Neverwinter Nights series as well, but they are they're based off like the same engine, and and uh, I think it's I think.
3: Um, ben, don't you mean that the Dungeons and Dragons Dark Alliance video game is the most successful? It, it's clearly the most recent. Uh, I mean, I've only heard bad things about it. Yeah, no, that was not a good
0: game. But yeah, Baldur's Gate smash hit, you know, huge. I'm still waiting for, for Baldur's Gate 3 to come out in full release. They're, they've been in early access release for like over a year now. So I'm excited for that one to come out. Uh, but you then you're they,
2: not a big a big shot podcaster no, to get early no, they access. Have the, you can release? get it on
0: Steam early access. It just means it's, it's yeah, incomplete. It's, it's, uh, not, it's, yeah, it's not the full game. You can only play like the first. The f- yeah, early access, like Steam. The early first access, act. It's not- and it's like dog shit. Gotcha. You know, it's like there's a shit ton of bugs and stuff still. Gotcha. They're working all that stuff out and then constantly adding new stuff, but I'm not paying 60 bucks now for a, for a third of a game, even though, yeah, you get it when it fully comes out, but no, I'll wait. But then the, the other, the other one, uh, was the original fallout. I know that one was 1998. Cause I just started playing some of that myself on get, cause they're all on game pass. Um, they they look janky as hell those original games but they're still fun to play so they're still really fun to play i was just killing rats in a
3: cave it's one of those things that i think i think for a lot of people if you played them when you were younger or have some nostalgia for them it's a lot easier to go back and overlook some of the Mm -hmm. jankiness but if you've never experienced that jankiness it can pretty much turn you off to some of
0: them. i mean i can't say i ever played games of that era uh and i've never played a fallout game before but i still enjoyed it
2: i appreciated the was it the isometric views like traditional i think that yeah i think
0: that like no those were that all all of these games of that time you know the same were were isometric like that Um, yeah
3: that was the best way of doing 3d without having to do 3d (laughs) All right, so so those those games uh,
0: signaled the return of the you know the phoenix from the flames, uh, you know burning brighter than ever before. The you know these games huge. They've you know launched, uh you know successful series, uh you know yeah
3: franchises that exactly. run to this day. Um,
0: and it's so that those are the like you know the main ones from the '90s. Then we, I think technically still in the '90s, we get the first Elder Scrolls game. But it's not until 2000s that we get the that we get the, the real uh, you know important Elder Scrolls ones. We get Oblivion. we get Morrowind in in 2002, which uh, again I've never played, but you know is arguably had a huge impact on uh, game design. Still, it's like you you're you're not going to find a, a a current RPG that doesn't have the bones of Morrowind uh, found in it somewhere. But then we got Oblivion in 2006. Uh, you know, people will will always argue which is better, which is the belt better Elder Scrolls, uh, Oblivion or Skyrim. Um, but is Oblivion 2006 and Skyrim in 2011? You know, now the best art selling RPG ever. Uh, You know, constantly being re released. What what's what is the the one that's coming up? We just got the oh, anniversary edition, didn't yeah.
2: we? Yeah.
3: Or isn't it coming out like next week or something like that?
1: I think it's yeah soon, but. I mean, continues to be actively played. Right. And oh, yeah. Yeah. we to this day, a full 10 years of. Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure
3: the anniversary release. edition is just legitifying mods. Isn't it just like adding the fishing mod to the base game?
0: And I feel I, that's I think, a, it's uh, important. Yeah, I think, I think so. it's a, that's a useful thing to, to bring up is the whole, the whole modding concept in community. I think that's a big reason why these games have remained so popular is the ability for uh you know anybody to interact with them in that level and you know really uh you know stretch your in a sense it's those are role-playing muscles you know like your your
3: world building at that point well yeah who who wouldn't want to play skyrim without the thomas the tank engine mod replacing the dragons like (laughs) that's day one stuff hell yeah Man, I can just I can just imagine Alduin coming out and
0: just just like with this with a smiling face and just honk honk. <laughs> uh, yeah, just, just his his motionless the motionless grin just like you know uh you know emptiness behind those googly eyes. <laughs> but then I'd say the last game that I think I'm gonna mention in the in in our brief history here is Kotor, Knights of the Old Republic. Uh a the basically the first star wars rpg and what is considered you know the best star wars story period um is also again still played to this day there were we are anxiously awaiting the the remake hope hoping it's against hope that it's not going to be dog shit but yeah but
2: do do dog shit i
0: don't
3: know that's that's ps5 exclusive
0: right ps5 no, that's and pc the, what's the one that it's going to be on ps5 uh, yeah initially but yeah it will
3: and pc and it'll be on right. xbox it's like a later. Year later yes. or yeah correct it'll be good i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna play i, think that'll it. Be I, fine. I don't give a fuck i'm gonna yeah play. um but yeah so th- you should get the you should get the old one on switch so you could play the old one
0: first for for our sake uh i think we can we can end our history there because we're basically that that we're getting into the we're now in basic you know, the era that yeah.
3: where we'll be discussing games exactly. that we've played
0: um but w- as we kind of saw from uh from this history we see these these uh these games developing on each other uh then branching out and essentially creating all these different subgenres. and that then goes back to our conversation at the beginning is that almost anything can be an rpg now there are so many different types whether it's an action RPG, an MMO RPG, roguelikes, tactical RPGs, JRPGs, sandbox, the monster hunter gatherer stuff, you know, a like Pokemon, Digimon, that kind of thing. <laughs> like there are all these sub like you think like, oh, yeah, that's not an RPG. An RPG, yeah, is about like, uh, you know, skill or not just is skill trees and dialogue trees. You know, that's if it doesn't have those two things, it's not it's not a uh It's not a role-playing game, which again I think we have, we have officially debunked that. That is not the case. That is more about immersion. Because I mean, like,
3: would you consider Breath of the Wild to be an RPG? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Matt. Exactly. It's it's so
0: Matt and I were also asking like, would would you then would you consider games like God of War or the Assassin's Creed games RPGs? So hell, Assassin's Creed. Yeah. So Assassin's Creed, you're literally playing a guy who's doing a role essentially a role-playing game. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's a role-playing game inside a role-playing game. Inside a
1: role-playing game.
2: I mean the early Assassin's creeds for sure you could argue maybe not so much because you're sticking to that more linear story. But now with the the new ones, like we said, like everything has become an, an RPG. And there's almost we're at like a technological point where and i guess like a financial point where they could just milk money off of rpgs well, you know rpgs uh, assassin's creed inflate play time and the longer you keep someone playing the game saying.
3: the more you get them hooked to buy the dlc or you know buy expansions yep. or it's it's right. about hooking yep. someone onto a game and getting all of it out of them
1: well in a, in a it worked well for the monetization yeah. games as a service mm-hmm. model like destiny at this yeah. point which was a first person i mean it's a looter shooter so i guess i guess to that extent those those all fall into an rpg category in my mind is yeah is all borderlands and destiny would definitely they're have doing a doing that with
0: the tiny tina's wonderland they're framing that as them playing exactly. a literal tabletop rpg
1: rpg yeah so I do think, yeah, Mike, to your point, it's it part of that is just because it's easier to monetize. So they throw these concepts in that way and,
2: and add playtime. Yeah. Think of the Assassin's Creed soft reboot. Like they moved away from the uh the you know, that linear story. They made it, you know, Origins, Odyssey and now Valhalla. It's like you're in this world you're not in a story you're in a world and you're interacting with the world they have these dlcs that add different portions to the world but i've put in like 60 hours to valhalla i don't even know if i've played like three of the missions that like you know for the main story because there's so many side missions to do like it truly is like immersive and and they they do that as a way to milk money from you because yeah of course i've spent money on different skins and shit <laughs> because i like i was the about to point out that especially
3: ubisoft ubisoft is the most mm. uh the most uh guilty of this and what i've noticed is that they put rpg elements in and then link you to the ubisoft store where you can buy yep. XP boosts or like yeah, upgrade, upgrade armor yeah, so. yeah 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 apps because they did that in Immortal, Immortal Phoenix find Rising, a which showered me on the game pretty bad, other than the fact that there mm-hmm. was a bug that in, I enc- uh, encountered that physically made me incapable of completing the game, so I put it away. Oh, God. <laughs> it, it locked me in a boss fight that I couldn't break out of even after I won without like resetting save file. I think this has been like, or, or this is showing the, again, this
0: the, the real impact of RPGs is the fact mm-hmm. that uh, Again, every game that we that you know, every major game that, that people are playing now, just
3: ha- has RPG, RPG stuff or DNA baked into. I'm gonna it. say, uh, RPGs saved what is now one of the uh, the more popular RPG makers for modern games, which is From Software. Mm. If it wasn't for Demon Souls they would have uh, shuttered up as a studio. Right, Demon Souls was one of their last ditch efforts, and it made a lot of traction out west. Which was what they needed because they couldn't yep. get games to stick out here. But yeah, like it, it, again, it all goes back to D and D for better or worse.
0: The ideas of you know these progressive level systems, the the concepts of hit points and uh, and armor class and skill trees and all that kind of stuff. That's just you, you know the, you're you're you don't play a, a modern game that doesn't have that any of those elements in it anymore. And I just I we see that you know just reflected in the industry. Uh, but I, I, I definitely think that we're seeing now RPGs are having uh, an even greater cultural impact. I mean, we have the whole satanic panic bullshit in the 80s that obviously and 90s again yeah, ha- had a huge role. But I, I don't think we'll go too much into that because I feel like that's going to be fodder for for future in-depth episodes. Uh, talking about uh, things like that but it has shameless plug but it's been felt you know in our uh, in our culture for for a a long time you know just in it's has gone beyond actual gaming Um, and so one one little thing that I see as an avid reader of speculative fiction it's like pretty much every major author that's uh, you know active right now they trace their origins as storytellers to D uh, and D a good example is the best-selling series Malazan book of the fallen by oh crap. Why don't I've, I've read the, I've only read the first two books of that. Um, there's like 10 of them. So I forget, I think it's, uh, something Eric, pretty prolific something Erickson is, is that his, uh, is the author's name, Steven Erickson. Yeah. I didn't want to get it wrong. Um, but yeah, he's like, talked about how, this series is based off of his his old D and D campaign, and someone who knows D and D, you read his story. It's all about these people becoming gods. It's like the whole concept of or these, you know, the the world of mortals being the playing ground for these ascendants, who are literally just were just mortal people who have you know followed these paths to become gods, and uh, you know, you you see the the oh, this is the adventuring party. You know, this is uh the you know the conflicts that are are spreading out and you have seeing people you know like the the interconnection of characters and all that stuff you know it's just it's to anybody who, who has played these games you can see in these popular stories where where it all comes from
2: do they have a rogue class character that just, just hides, hides all the time i mean
0: yeah there's a, one of
2: the main characters kalam is an assassin
0: assassin though <laughs> and now also we're seeing popular rpgs getting adapted into live action media of all sorts there's the the witcher netflix show the assassin's creed movie. we we don't we don't talk about that we don't talk about that (laughs) oh these these ones are like these next ones are upcoming though apparently amazon is doing a fallout show and uh warner brothers is doing uh something with mass effect that one is unclear it's been said it's a movie but it's you know still in such level of pre-production people are like oh it's probably going to end up being a series or something instead we're also getting uh what's called uncharted sort of see that's one uh, that's one i would i was going to bring it up i would actually classify that one not as an rpg
3: that's why i said it does not
0: it has a lot of those elements because it is so story driven but there's no leveling progression that I remember because you know it's like it's just you just no. get yeah you just get different guns no, and stuff no you you have the same abilities essentially yeah, different from, but lighting. are you inserting
3: yourself as Nathan right Drake?
0: so that's where we get down to it it's like is is it an RPG because it is so immersive in in terms of the story because the whole concept of 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 Uncharted was taking your 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 cliche tropey action adventure movie and letting you play it out you be the one to to immerse yourselves and take on the role that is like the kernel of why it came of why it came out even though it doesn't have those elements i can see how yeah that one is that's wh- that's why i said sort of it was a like that one's on the on the edge for me but right we
3: should make a tier list oh god we're not getting into tier lists put that on patreon make people pay for that
0: I guess, yeah. unless anybody has anything else about the where you've seen the cultural impact of it, I think we can jump into, because we're already now starting to talk about, uh, you know, we, we, we've we kind of are, arguably defined what, are, uh, what defines an RPG, but what makes a good one in your opinion?
2: It's Pokemon. Oh. Pokemon or Get <laughs> the Fuck Out?
3: So yeah, just go play Digimon Story Cyber Sleuth. Have a good time. No, it's a nah. good game.
2: No, trust me, never. I, I know you said it's a good game, but I can I can't cheat on Pokemon. Well, when you like come that. when you come up here, you'll die. have to
3: try it because I have it, and you can try it without paying
2: for it. I don't know. That's that might be sinful. <laughs> only Pokemon, the only uh, brand. I'll I stand turn all for. the Pokemon games on my shelf the other way so they won't see.
3: <laughs> they can't see. <laughs> all
2: right. I mean, like for me, what makes a good
1: RPG is hard, is a similar answer to what makes a good game. Uh, it's it's about wanting to to play in the world and, and being drawn into to the setting and and your character and wanting to progress and and advance you know whatever storyline you're going down in that game. I think that kind of is the definition to me. Do I want to keep going back to it?
2: Well, and I, and I think on that point, and it's why I like Pokemon so much is you could do you could complete the story but then you could immerse yourself in the pokemon world of just like running around catching pokemon battling wild pokemon and it takes you and it's a way to escape reality you know and and immerse yourself in these games and you know a game that may not have the best story but has like good aesthetics uh like the assassin's creed games and those are another one that i could just come back to and just run around the world and it's you know, a way to zone out and kind of escape our uh, terrifying reality at the moment and just immerse yourself in whatever is going on there and, and not have to focus on the story. You could kind of mindlessly play. Um, and for me that, yeah. you know, I, I could just keep coming back to that and, you know, coming back to that character and, and those uh, that setting that that theme that's there. Um, and just kind of get lost I I think that for me is what makes uh, makes it like good and, and you know what is the foundations of it
0: all right rare disagreement here then for me it is about the story that is the 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 thing that I can accept frustrations limitations whatever on any game So long as I find the story compelling, it's the narrative for me is what, is what RPGs are about. And that's how I get immersed is losing track of, you know, say the, you know, the real world in that sense. And again, it's, it is that immersion, but it is, I I immerse myself in the story and what is going on. And that's why when we get to it, um, we'll, we'll give Matt a, a chance first. Um, it's why
1: I don't, why Skyrim is not my favorite. Matt, let me, I want you to get your word out there. I do just want to agree with you, Ben, on that. For me, it's 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 kind of, it's a little less the story and more a nexus of enjoying the gameplay and story together. There's certain RPGs I've played where I really like the story, but I'm not a fan of the gameplay. And that kind of turns me off and, and vice versa. So I think it was kind of a middle ground, but I'll, Matt, I'll let you uh,
3: take over. So the way I describe it is that one of the big things, the way I would just discuss how you're talking about story is that the story needs to make me want to keep playing and make me want to finish mm-hmm. and make me not want to put it down? Right. Because there are games that I've played and Skyrim is a really good example, Ben, because I kind of agree with you in the sense that like Skyrim is a game that I can pick up and put down periodically and just like you know do a little bit here, do a little bit there, and like just put it down whenever. But there are games that I've played before where I cannot play anything other than that game until I'm done with it. Because I just need to keep going. I need to keep getting farther in the story. I need to find this. I need to go get this item. Like a game that pulls me in so much that I can't stop playing it. And the story is that tight. That's a huge bonus for me. But my real big thing with RPGs is because there's so many different ways you can play them. Usually, you know, choices, Mm -hmm. uh, the replayability factor is huge. The ability to go back through, again, so for me, like a Dark Souls, and play a completely different play style than how I normally play or how I or go through and try a challenge run, you know hitless or magic only, you know stuff like that. The ability to go through and play a game a different way and then a different way after that and just be able to experience it in multiple facets is probably the best way like that's what marks a true RPG for me. Beating the Elite Four Shuckle only. Shuckle <laughs> Muck. Toxic Stall. All right. So, or Mushkull. Let's,
0: let's go around the horn and get what is your favorite RPG? I will say you can at most pick three. three. Try to pick one, but what is your favorite? Um, who wants to go
2: first? I'll go last. <laughs> okay. Okay. I need a moment to think, Rick. You're mute. I know Rick, my like, top it. one. Yeah, sorry about that, guys. Uh,
1: I didn't want to make you all hear my chewing. No worries. So I was saying that for me, I, I kind of I'm gonna categorize it in that. No, I, actually, my number one Skyrim. I, I that game. I don't know. It sucked me in. It. I played it towards the beginning of uh, the the quarantine of covid pandemic and um it it really just absorbed me for about a month and a half and uh, i think that's probably my favorite like rpg overall i mean then after that for me it's gta and red dead kind of at the same level just because i think those games are um more for nostalgia purposes like i don't know playing playing grand theft auto back in the day and entering all the cheat codes in to get all the guns is is one of the highlights of my gaming life so uh i think any list of top rpgs for me yeah has to include you know grand theft auto those are the good old days or or red dead whatever you want to pick those those sandbox games
2: i'm gonna have to go with pokemon crystal because it was my introduction to the pokemon world and that like uh, second generation of Pokemon, where you could go from Johto to Kanto, incredible! It's just absolutely it's how fantastic. every Pokemon Didn't game need should a have DLC. Been. You should be able to go to all the exactly. regions. They should have built on. Yes, I want to go fucking everywhere. Um, so that was incredible. They've never been able to master that again. Well, that no, was like why would they do that? They want Pokemon. to sell more games. Exactly. Um. So that's my number one. But then I agree with Rick that the sandbox gta red dead definitely my my favorite no assassin's creed um, well i was going to say like now assassin's creed but i i think okay you know, i don't know my, my favorite and foundational are, are definitely okay. those hey, we we'll, we'll
0: get to foundational because foundational i think we're going to be a little bit more meta about um because I, I well i'm foundational yeah, for i me, would say you know as part I of i would favorite. say that say it, going off of you know where we've come down on what is and what isn't an rpg um, uh if we are allowing uncharted and you know say uh, and uh assassins creed into it i probably have to put those at my top just because you've played a lot of assassins they, creed games i played a lot of them they were I remember going them, to your house series. and just
3: watching you play it and just hanging out in the I, <laughs> yeah
0: i yeah. played just i probably i yeah, put the most in in my formative gaming years i probably put the most in i was fascinated by I was young games. enough at the time to be fascinated by the story in retrospect I can understand how they were fucking dog shit now <laughs> how
2: it's just uh, the assassins versus yeah. the Templars and, and yeah everything. and how
0: stupid that is but like I mm. love the ancient the ancient conspiracy stuff but again, uncharted the series was was great as well because it was one of the best story games I had played and that one is such a story driven. It's, it's about the story it's not really about the It's not about exploring it's not about uh even the gameplay isn't that particularly uh you know expansive beyond maybe some of the stealth stuff and some of the it's, agility uh, stuff but like you know you're just shooting cover, guns at guys gun but it's type. it was about the story yeah, really i do have i do have something that is more you know say strictly rpg uh I, I'm I've only now started playing it. I'm really not that far into it, but uh, you know, The Witcher Three has got to be you know one of the best games I've ever played.
3: DD Project Red, just, why they're... can't you do that more often?
0: Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I I don't I don't have much to say about the story yet because I'm not far enough into it. But every other element that we've talked about in terms of RPG, the best I've ever seen it. It is so intricate and interactive. And there's so much to do, but it doesn't really feel overwhelming. And all the quests feel thematically involved. I mean, because that's basically the nature of what a Witcher is, is they they get hired to go kill a random monster. It doesn't have to have something to the story. So in, in that sense, I don't feel like that it distracts me from, from the game. But I just loved like going around brewing up a you know the right type of like oil for my silver sword in a potion to be able to kill this this specter like in like three hits like i i had tried it out beforehand and you know purposefully pre-saved knowing that it was probably not going to work got owned super fast then i just went made the potion as i was supposed to and just you know tooled on this specter and like 30 seconds you know it's like and it didn't feel it didn't feel like oh that that was a letdown you know i felt good and rewarded for putting the effort into it in different ways so like is something new to me for what i've experienced in rpgs but that one has got to be at the top of my list right now
3: so you told me to try to cut it down to three right is an, an, an impossible task for matt We know i've done it to four is, is okay. four acceptable okay i'm impressed yes <laughs> okay my favorite top tier gold standard little yeah, out left. of left field bloodborne an action rpg okay. uh that's my favorite from software game that i've played so that's why i'm picking that as my top because the from software tier is probably all s tier if we're doing tier ranking for me mm-hmm. uh bloodborne is definitely my favorite that's definitely the game i can go back to the most and play in different ways um my first playthrough through i created a god killer of worlds who could just do everything and he is just a monster he's a tank uh like the story of that game how i mean they don't hand you the story they make you find it but like the the hidden story and background of everything going on is just really interesting um I can never say enough good things about that game. It's very difficult. I know that. I know it's hard for people to pick up. And it's very fast paced, but that's probably my favorite current memory. Yeah, that was a um, number good game. two. I was torn on this one, but I think I'm going to put God of War there. 2018. I'm also really, I'm also really enjoying God because of War because God of so like God of War. Enough. When I was playing that, was a game that I could not put down. That was a game that I always wanted to find more things. I always wanted to keep going. I always wanted to get more loot. like that number two. top tier game. It made me feel
2: like a dad. Yeah, no, that that was that did all of the elements of RPG that we were talking about, even with our disagreements on you know like Ben and I with the story versus like the immersion of like the setting. that game does all of that perfectly. Or yes. at least pretty well. Yes.
3: No, that's as close to perfect as a modern, like more straightforward RPG, I would call it, gets. Because I, I was torn on that one, between that and something like uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, which is a lot more open in the world than um, God of War, a lot more exploratory. But I had to put God of War's story well above what Horizon Zero Dawn does for a story. Um, number three, final fantasy, not seven, 12, final fantasy, Mm. 12, the Zodiac age. I think that is the peak of what final fantasy did as far as, um, the, the combat system is gorgeous. Uh, instead of a turn-based combat system, you create, uh, they call it gambits and you essentially program your party to do things based on certain actions, and the more you level up your party, the more gambit slots you get. So you can set up, like, if, the, if I fall below uh, 30% health, you heal me. Uh, if enemy makes me blind, you, can't, you remove that buff. Like, you can you program your whole party. And when you get to the, the nitty-gritty, you can program a perfect combat circle so that everyone is, like, never, like, never debuffed, never, never fallen below a certain percentage of health. Cool. That's nice. I like I like
0: that because like one of the, one of the other uh, ones that I've I probably sunk over I've already done over a hundred hours into Pathfinder Kingmaker, um and have I'm probably less than halfway through the actual story, um and what I I think a reason why the time is so much is that I do turn based essentially all the time unless it's a super really simple random encounter where you know, you're just getting attacked by a bunch of wolves or kobolds or something but like any like real uh, story based uh, encounter that you're you're having to deal with. Um, I'm almost always going turn based because when you go to real time, it's or it's like the, the real time with pause yeah. is is what it used to be. Uh, the, the KOTOR type system. Yeah, they had they do now. Ha- you say they they it was a more recent thing. I mean, I've only ever played it when it had turn based, but you would it used to just be the real time with pause. And I I would always like I felt like I'm taking so much more damage. My party that is is taking so much more damage than they need to because I can never uh you know make the commands as fast as I need to. It's like I would have to be pausing so much that it's effectively again, I should just be doing turn based. So that's the trade off though, is turn based takes so much longer. So I feel like I, that's that is a huge reason why I've put so many hours into it is because I'm exclusively doing well, that, the, or else I'm taking a shit ton of damage, and then like I'm like we've got to waste so many more spells than we need to, and we're not going to be able to do the next encounter that we need to.
3: One of the nice like, things that half. Final Fantasy 12 does is that uh, in the Zodiac Age version specifically, they added a fast forward feature. So once you've programmed your party, you can speed up combat a little bit. And then say you start to get down, like you're starting to fall behind a little bit, you can slow it back down and, you know, retake control and a little bit of agency yeah. to pick some stuff up, which helps with um, progressing stuff through quicker. Uh, it's one of, one of my favorite Switch games I've played, actually, is Final Fantasy XII Zodiac Age, and I own it on PC now. But number four, to wrap it up, I would put Xenoblade Chronicles 2 which might be a hot mm. take amongst JRPG fans. Mm. Um, that is wildly considered to be a waifu collection game. Um, <laughs> I disagree, Nothing but I get that. it. Uh, that's prob- That game is the only game on my Switch with a playtime that even comes close to Breath of the Wild. And it's like 800 hours. I played that game so much. Wow. It's not even funny.
1: What is what is waifu? I don't know what that means.
3: Waifu animated, oh, is the yes. Yeah. Okay. Ooh, woo. Waifu. waifu and husbando. No. Yeah. Uh. All
0: right. So I guess we can then switch into what are like the what do we think are the overall foundational RPGs? Pokemon. I have to say I know I have one. I, I mean I think it D&D. should be clear. It's Dungeons and Dragons. Like you have
3: nothing else without D and D D and D is the, is the building block that everything was built off of. You can make foundational franchises for (laughs) like genres, but D and D is where it all starts. Mm
0: -hmm. I agree. And I don't honestly, like we've talked a lot about it. And I think it's pretty self evident that in terms of the overall genre, it's like, you can't escape it. Um, even the traditional other,
3: jrpgs at the start they had the DD classes like just straight up right. D classes right um any
0: other final thoughts though before we wrap things up uh much like final fantasy this will never be our final thought right no this is we're thinking this more as like foundational lore for the podcast to build off of again it's it's that that fact that that uh the, the, the imprint of, of RPGs as a genre touches on everything else that we're probably ever going to talk about on this channel, that it was worth going over that, again, that brief history for our own good and for any listeners out there. Uh, and speaking of listeners, uh, it is now time for plugs. You can find us streaming weekly at twitch.tv slash campaign comrades, you can find campaign underscore fuck. comrades. <laughs> fuck, <laughs> fuck. I'm gonna send them all to some random
2: ass account and and uh they're gonna get all our views. God damn it, they don't exist. All right, like twitch.tv. So. We should just make another account so no one can right, take so that tw- with that twitch.tv
0: slash campaign underscore comrades. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we st- we uh, stream weekly both, you know, where we do independent streams on our own as well as some group streams. Uh, come and check us out. Um, anything else that anybody else wants to plug here on here on uh, on the space?
2: Oh, yeah. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash campaign comrades. Yeah, if you if you if you
0: feel the urge, you can say we we will hopefully have a real patreon campaign push sometime sometime in the future but you know it's there it exists
3: come give us money we need it you're uh, interested uh, in following my rpg shenanigans you can find uh, find some of that on youtube Smokey the bear gaming
0: there you go yeah we are also on youtube campaign comrades uh all the places you can find us come do it Uh for yeah, for more discussions like these, uh gotta subscribe. Uh click
3: that bell. Ding 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 ding.
0: Till next time. Till next time. Alright,
1: bye-bye. Peace. Luck.